Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode 32 of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Today, our topic is myths and evidence-based information about women and strength training. Of course, our audience is largely yoga practitioners, uh, many of whom are women. So uh, in addition, our audience also has some interest in strength because of Jenny and my work with Strength for Yoga. So this conversation will be largely directed at women, but of course, men will still get a lot of out of the conversation as well. So keep listening, men. Definitely. Uh, today, we're going to address some of the common questions that arise about women in strength training, such as strength training around the menstrual cycle. Is this something that women need to be thinking about? Strength training and the relationship with osteoporosis, strength training during before, during, after pregnancy. Well, maybe not before pregnancy because that's just general strength training, but around pregnancy, <laughs> potentially uh, some considerations for strength training and menopause, and then just general benefits and risks of strength training for women. And to help us discuss these questions, we are excited to be joined by a very special guest, Claire Zai. Claire is a strength coach. She is a nationally competitive powerlifter. She has a bachelor's degree in physiology and neuroscience from the University of Colorado Boulder. She also has a master's degree in physiology, during which time she worked specifically with biomechanics and athletes with amputations. She has published research and she's currently applying to medical school to pursue her commitment to women's empowerment, health, and education through science and medicine. And last but not least, Claire works with Barbell Medicine, which I'm sure she'll be able to tell us a lot more about. So Claire, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That was quite the introduction. You have done your research. <laughs> we do our homework. <laughs> I can see that. Very impressive. Yes. Such a long list of such impressive things and important things to point out about you. Thank you. I have to yes. catch my breath now. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us and being here today to talk about this excellent topic. Uh, I guess I'll just, I'll ask you right away because Travis mentioned it toward the end of what he just said. Um, could you maybe tell us and our audience just a bit about what is Barbell Medicine, which is this organization you work with and, mm -hmm. and work for? Yeah. So Barbell Medicine is a company that is trying to bring high quality strength and conditioning evidence or information to medicine and bring medical topics and health topics to strength and conditioning in a way that is one easy to understand and easy to apply to people's daily life and using behavior change in order to help people enact those changes that will improve their lives. Wow. I love that, like that stated goal and kind of bringing those to like this 
intersection between those two domains, it seems like they both have a lot to benefit from one another. Yeah, I think both are are lacking in each other severely. So (laughs) that's fantastic. Um, And another very cool thing about you is that you're a nationally competitive power lifter. Now, uh, our audience, being kind of more yoga based, Mm -hmm. I, I have a feeling that some of our audience members I'm sure we all kind of know what weightlifting is and what it looks like, mm-hmm. but could you describe what powerlifting specifically is for those who Absolutely. might not know? Powerlifting is a competition that compete or that is trying to focus on the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. So I will compete in those three lifts, trying to max out my heaviest weight on the platform in competition with other women who are similar in size or weight to me. And the goal is to have the biggest total. So whoever lifts the most as a combination of those three lifts wins the meet. And that's, that's it. It's a very simple sport, honestly. (laughs) Um, But it's really fun. And it's very exciting to watch other people hit PRs and hit PRs yourself. Right. And a a PR is a personal record. Personal. Is that right? Yes. PR. Correct. Awesome. So the way you describe powerlifting sounds like it it centers on, it focuses on three specific lifts, right? Like three, Mm -hmm. uh, squat, deadlift, bench press. Correct. Yes. Other types uh, of weightlifting encompass like a lot more because obviously there's a lot more that you could do within weightlifting, but, but powerlifting Mm -hmm. is those three. So yes, there are. So for strength and conditioning, there are a ton of different kinds of lifts you can do tons of variations general the lifting of weights can be Mm -hmm. in a lot of different forms weightlifting specifically is also a competition of the snatch and the clean and jerk which are two different uh those are higher velocity movements that Mm -hmm. actually put the bar above your head where in powerlifting the bar does not go above your head and then powerlifting is those three so those are like the big three uh delineations in strength training if you have watched ever people do crossfit you're Mm -hmm. often watching them do the olympic lifts which is weightlifting so those are the snatch and the clean and jerk so also called olympic weightlifting sometimes olympic weightlifting yeah so there's a lot of different ways to talk about this that can get really confusing but olympic weightlifting (laughs) powerlifting and crossfit are the three main barbell sports that you will probably Uh, see I think it's most confusing because when we talk about strength training, generally Mm -hmm. we talk about lifting weights, but then in, within the strength sport context, weightlifting has a very specific meaning. Mm, Powerlifting has a very specific meaning. It's further confusing by the fact that powerlifting is not as powerful as Olympic lifting. (laughs) (laughs) Not a conversation we need to get into too much detail about right now. Right. But thank you so much for explaining all of that and just kind of setting out those differences just so people have this like conception of of what we're talking about here. And uh, I know you, so you work with Barbell Medicine and when you just outlined those different uh, lifting styles, you mentioned that they were all barbell, barbell lifting. And that's interesting too, I think for Travis and myself and like the, the community that we work with, like in our strength three yoga mm-hmm. offering is generally, I mean, uh, we, we include like in the strength training programs that we prescribe for our people, there mm-hmm. are barbell options if people like have access to that or are familiar with barbells. But we generally, I'd say more of the people working with us use like kettlebells or maybe dumbbells. 
Yeah. And um, yeah, and it's not, yeah, we, we don't teach powerlifting or Olympic lifting um, in what we do with strength for yoga. It's more, I don't know, Travis, how would you describe it? Just like general training? Yeah. Yeah. I, we do certainly do squat, bench press yes. and deadlift and cleans we do. too. We uh, do, yeah. I haven't brought in the snatch yet, but generally <laughs> with- okay. The snatch is silly. <laughs> as a power I like lifter, your yeah. opinion on that. Um, we, I think- our we're kind of like a foot in the door mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we recognize that most people are exercising at home it's easier to get space make space for kettlebells cheaper mm-hmm. uh but we do all for the exercises where we can we have barbell options too mm-hmm. and a few of our members take advantage of that they they work up to their heaviest kettlebells or dumbbells at home and then either they happen to have barbells at home or they have access to a gym and that's mm-hmm. kind of that like makes me really excited when someone tells us like they they progressed to the barbell oftentimes starting with like the deadlift maybe Mm -hmm. squats uh so we're that's definitely like uh um i my bias i guess is for barbell training personally uh Mm -hmm. so i i love when people maybe the foot in the door is through a different implement but then ultimately because of the loading capacity or potential of those implements being somewhat limited or just from a practical or feasibility standpoint, it's easier to hold more weight on a barbell. I love when people do yeah. get the get the gumption to then graduate. That maybe that's not the right word. Move on to that implement. Evolve. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I hate to make it like, like one levels. is superior to the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Move on is a good way to put it. I think that a 200 pound kettlebell is unwieldy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but unwieldy. I think there are absolutely reasons and uses for dumbbells and kettlebells. And you can live a full and complete life without ever using a barbell. And that's totally okay. Even though we work, I work for a company called Barbell Medicine. I program all <laughs> kinds of things that have nothing to do with barbells. So right. uh, it's just as a the founder of the company really likes barbell work and the subsequent people he has contracted on also really mm. like barbell work. So most of us are power lifters by trade. So, right. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. it's good to just kind of uh, highlight that there's like a range or a spectrum, I guess, to, you know, how and what we can engage with when we take on a strength mm-hmm. training um, practice. And I feel it's, it's interesting for all of us to be here talking together. Cause I think Travis and I, I mean, Travis also has his own personal training clients separate from strength for yoga. So I'm just thinking our work in strength for yoga, but we're kind of more on the side of meeting yogis and yoga practitioners who kind of, mm-hmm. for the most part, don't know anything about strength training. So we're kind of taking total newbies mm-hmm. into strength, but you, yeah. you're kind of coming from this, you're a competitive power lifter and you work with barbell medicine. So I feel like you're kind of coming uh, I mean, I know I'm sure you work with beginners and everything too, and and multiple levels, but but where you sit mostly is in that kind of other side of the spectrum. Yeah, totally. And I would even argue that the beginners that I work with have more just like general knowledge about the gym. If you're coming to the company that I work for, if you're coming to Barbell Medicine, right. you're like, I know that I want to work with barbells. I've tried mm. these other things. They maybe aren't for me. And you might be a beginner with the barbell but you might not be a beginner in the gym so there's lots of different kinds of ways to say beginner and so Mm -hmm. like i would be a beginner if people are like all right it's time to do kettlebells i'm like okay (laughs) 
I'm a beginner in that. So yeah. Great point. Yeah. And I think that there is stigma around the barbell that it is intimidating and that's okay. Yeah. I struggle to get my mom to do the barbell lifts and yeah. she's just more comfortable with dumbbells and kettlebells and that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. So Right, because we're, I feel like we are all on the same page about how important and beneficial strength and loading the body are, right? Like mm -hmm. through whatever vehicle we're, we're doing that through. And I know we're going to talk today about just some of the general uh, benefits and potential risks for strength training and specifically with like this focus on women. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were kind of hoping that maybe we could start off this uh, kind of women-focused conversation by diving into the topic of the menstrual cycle, the menstrual cycle, because I th think we're probably all aware that there's a lot that's often said about women uh, and strength training in the menstrual cycle, things that they should take into consideration and mm -hmm. maybe how they should strength train differently. And um, actually, Claire, before, uh, before I let you go to talk about that, I did want to make sure, Travis and I just wanted to say for this conversation in general, that um, we know that like gender and sex are very, very complex and major topics that to really dive into like in a thorough way, we, we don't have the time or the space in this podcast mm -hmm. episode, but I guess just to be clear that for the most part, uh, sex generally is seen as biology and like that biological distinction between men and women, uh, which, you know, we tend to treat as binary. It isn't necessarily so binary, even on a biological level, but that's just how our how our society views it, uh, biology. And then we have gender, which is more societal expectations and ideas about, about how uh, men and women should behave and like what we expect of them. So that's, that's like so socially constructed gender. Although some people would even say that sex biology is also socially constructed, but that's beyond the scope of this conversation. So I guess just to make it clear that what we're generally talking about today is, um, is biology, like the difference between female and male, you know, and, and what, what sort of differences there are for these two quote sides of the population and how mm -hmm. that relates to strength training. Would you guys um, agree? Or does that make sense? What I said, like a container for this? I think that is a good uh, frame to enter this into with uh, mm -hmm. understanding that there are exceptions and most of this is on a spectrum to begin yes, with. Yes. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yes. Cool. Okay. So with that said, sorry, I asked you a question and then I went off on that, but I just oh, remembered okay. we wanted to like set that yeah. for the kind of container. So kind of bringing it back now to my question for you, which was around the menstrual cycle and yeah, what, what women should think about that as far as their training goes. Could you mm -hmm. maybe first just outline for us, what is the menstrual cycle? What does that consist of? Yes, of course. So scientifically the menstrual cycle is the cycle that women go through to every month or every, it's technically 14 to 20, nope, 31 days, 21 to 34 days. It's a big range of how right. long it can take you to go through your menstrual cycle. And it is often talked about in a 28 day cycle. And mm -hmm. it is the increase and, or the cyclical fluctuations in hormones and physiologic parameters that are occurring in the body. And it starts typically at, or when we say it starts, or when we start to measure the menstrual cycle, it starts at the, when you start to bleed. So when you mm -hmm. start to menstruate um, mm -hmm. at the beginning of your period, 
that is the day zero of your menstrual cycle. And that is also the start of the follicular phase. So there's two phases in the menstrual cycle, the follicular phase and the luteal phase. And the follicular phase starts when you start to bleed and ends when you ovulate. Mm -hmm. On average, this is about 14 days. And then the luteal phase is after ovulation and up until you start to bleed. And so that is also about 14 days. So this is how we get that average 28-day cycle, which ranges anywhere from 21 days to I think it's 38 days. I'd need to double check that. Mm-hmm. that top end range, but it's a wide range of, of how long it takes a woman to finish a cycle right. or an individual to finish a cycle. And so during the follicular phase, so starting at menstruation and going to ovulation, we have an increase in estrogen that is happening throughout that phase. It's kind of increasing slowly across those 14 days. And then right before ovulation, you have a spike in LH, which is the luteinizing hormone. And both of those drop off right as you ovulate. So you have a big spike right there. And then in the second half of the menstrual cycle during the luteal phase, you have an increase in progesterone and estrogen. And they kind of rise similarly to what a hill would look like. And progesterone is higher than estrogen. And this will uh, impact how we talk about the menstrual cycle later. So the main Mm -hmm. things I want people to remember going forward is we have two phases. We have the follicular phase and the luteal phase. And that luteal phase is characterized by high progesterone and high estrogen uh, with progesterone being higher. And the follicular phase is characterized by high estrogen right at the end of that phase. And we'll talk about why those are important as we go forward into strength training and kind of what that looks like in those considerations. Does that make sense so far? Is everything clear? Yes. That's very, thank you for outlining that. I have a feeling that many people don't know, you know, that like even, even those delineations, those, that naming convention (laughs) can be a little challenging. Um, And to be clear, I have to look it up every time. I'm Mm -hmm. like, all right, hold on. I got to pull out my my little chart so that I can remember which one's which, because it it takes some time to learn it. And it's okay that you might not have it like right off the bat. So, yeah, I, okay. I feel like when I think back to learning about this, um, I mean, if it, menstruation, the time of bleeding and ovulation were kind of the two biggies that I mm-hmm. learned about. I, for me, it wasn't until more recently that I learned about the actual follicular and the luteal phases as yeah. part of this whole yeah. grand cycle. So, yeah. Yes, there is more happening than this is what annoys me about our current education around the menstrual cycle mm-hmm. is it is all focused on the expectation that there will be a pregnancy, which is actually Mm. not the only reason that there is this cycle. And there's a lot of other things happening um, because a woman's job is not to just create babies. So um, we can talk about this in a way that is a little bit different and we can focus on other parts of the cycle and still talk about the physiological impacts that are happening Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. making it about preparing to have pregnancy. a baby yeah yeah you're that's so not, right yeah that's not always what's happening so relatively rare in the relatively things, rare right? in like how many <laughs> menstrual cycles you have compared to how many children on average humans have yeah it's relatively rare so so there's probably more going on than just about it being all about women being child bearers and mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. So true. But you, but when you look up the education on it, you're right. I mean, because I was doing a little reviewing to prepare for this. Mm-hmm. And I saw that even just like um, websites, medical websites talking about mm-hmm. the menstrual cycle. It's just like be, the woman didn't get pregnant. And so then it starts again. Like it's just, you know, yeah. it's just all framed around that. Around, around pregnancy. pregnancy. Yeah. And it's actually just a cyclic pattern that happens in women that is disrupted by pregnancy, not in order Ooh. to prepare for pregnancy. So... <laughs> Thank you for saying that. No, no website I saw said that. <laughs> That's I think is a as a different frame uh, for women to be able to think about it, especially as yeah. more and more women are saying they don't want children. Yes, in our society, it's important to frame this around that our job is not to make children. Our job is to contribute to society, and sometimes we also make children. So, grow them exactly. in our tummies. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, in your description of the menstrual cycle, you mentioned a couple hormones, yes. estrogen and progest- progesterone. I think. Yeah. Progesterone. Yeah. Progesterone. Sorry. Uh, are yeah. there? First of all, are there any other hormones we should know about in there, or are those the two biggies? And then, what effects do do those have? Mm-hmm. Yes. So there are a lot of other hormones that are. Uh, cyclically rising and falling during that period of time for our discussion today the most important are estrogen and progesterone Mm -hmm. so we'll focus on those lh and fsh are also part of the the kind of pattern that is happening within the body to help increase and decrease or kind of control estrogen and progesterone and other physiologic processes for Mm -hmm. strength training we want to focus on estrogen and progesterone today because those are what we have the most evidence on and data on and kind of we have the best hypotheses about how those impact training so got it could you tell us a bit about how what are the ideas around how those two affect impact training strength training yes so the the current data that we have on the menstrual cycle indicates that estrogen is anabolic it's an anabolic uh, molecule. And so it helps us build or maintain muscle mm-hmm. and progesterone is more of a catabolic molecule. And so mm-hmm. and what catabolic we would means... catabolic Sorry, means, no, no, please do. Uh, catabolic means the breaking down of tissue. So, mm-hmm. um, progesterone is going to kind of break down muscle or mm-hmm. kind of promote the breakdown of muscle. It doesn't do it itself, but it promotes that, that process. And so, Because in the luteal phase, there is this rise in progesterone, there is a thought that we would be weaker during those last two weeks of our menstrual cycle, the two weeks Mm -hmm. before we start to bleed, where women would not be as strong. And so that's the hypothesis, because we know this about progesterone, and we have this idea that this is what's going to happen. So that's what we're looking at. We're looking for changes in strength across the menstrual cycle. And when we start to play this out in rat studies or in very small muscular studies, we do see a difference that there are strength changes across the cycle in women in these really small studies and like Mm -hmm. really small motor units or really small muscles. So there are studies that look at like finger depression 
So like if you are, mm. if you have your hand on a table and you're trying to push your fingers into the table, mm-hmm. specifically your pointer finger, there are strength dif- differences across the menstrual cycle, but that's not how we typically train. And so when we're training, <laughs> we're looking at like large compound movements uh, yes. across the whole body. And those differences that we see in the smaller studies and the smaller muscles do not seem to hold up in larger uh, muscles across like larger studies as well. And part mm-hmm. of the reason for this is, is that those changes in muscular strength are so small in comparison to general training fluctuations that they end up not mattering. So yes. we see training fluctuations in all people. Most of, I'm sure most listeners have experienced this. You go to the gym one day and you're like, man, I lifted 135 last week. I'm going to do 135 or 140 this week. And then you can't get 115 off the ground. And you're like, what happened? And it's just (laughs) normal fluctuation due to stress or uh, sleep or food Mm -hmm. or something else that we can't explain. And generally, those fluctuations are about 5% for most people from week to week. That's totally normal the fluctuations in the menstrual cycle are going to be like two and a half percent. They're really, really small. Right. So in general, (laughs) this doesn't matter for individuals who are experiencing a menstrual cycle because it's just so small. So Mm -hmm. that's like the, the big overarching thing that we see with the menstrual cycle is that there's this like, there is less of an interest in these like small muscle groups where it's really easy to study these things and more in actual outcomes that are happening in day-to-day life. We also see, and this is not to discount the fact that women experience severe and intense menstrual cycle symptoms. So there are symptoms Mm -hmm. in those Mm -hmm. two weeks before the menstrual cycle or even during the menstrual cycle that are intense and have impacts on our quality of life. There Mm -hmm. is a recent study that just came out, the author's name, I do not remember, but the, the study looked at women who were reporting menstrual cycle symptoms and they measured menstrual cycle symptoms, strength, quality of life, and a couple other outcomes for sport performance. And those individuals, the, the quality of life outcome or the like current well-being factor that they were measuring was the most important factor for strength performance, not menstrual cycle phase or hormone levels in any way. So it's about how we feel going into the gym. That's the most important. Um, So that well-being factor, which encompasses a lot more than just the menstrual cycle, is important. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Right. So it sounds to me like you're suggesting like that what research seems to be showing us is that 
menstrual cycle fluctuations and these amount of hormones in our blood. I mean, that is something that happens biologically, but it's just, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's to such a small extent as far as how much it actually influences us, that there are a lot of other things that influences, influence us on a day-to-day level, Mm -hmm. like much more. And that can, it all combines into like this much bigger picture. So, so maybe pulling out the menstrual cycle and holding it up is this thing that we need to like really make big changes around or think about training differently in these different Mm -hmm. cycles maybe kind of making a a mountain out of a molehill or something yeah i would argue that the the feeling that we have Mm -hmm. i i don't know what your experience is but my Mm -hmm. experience with the menstrual cycle is i have some wicked hard cramps and um some kind of like general feelings of like meh like i just Mm -hmm. don't feel good Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are very scientific terms. Don't you worry. Um, <laughs> but that experience for me does affect my training. Yeah. But how I adjust for that is I just let the weights be as heavy as they need to be for that day, which means I might take some weight off. I might put some weight on depending on where I am. And what mm-hmm. really bothers me about the current narrative around the menstrual cycle is it's so dichotomous in saying that there is this one phase where you feel stronger and one phase where you feel weaker, yes. where most individuals don't actually ascribe to that. Or yeah. we put we give them this narrative that says, hey, you will be yes. strong. And it's this um, self-fulfilling prophecy of like, yes. oh, you will be strong when you go to the gym because it's this phase of your cycle. Mm-hmm. or you will be weak because it's this phase of your cycle. And that kind of language promotes a frailty narrative of I have to protect myself yes. from my own physiology. Oh, so, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what's so frustrating to me. And the fact that if you survey a whole bunch of women or individuals who experience menstrual cycles, if you survey a whole bunch of individuals and some individuals say, hey, I experience strength deficits during my menstrual cycle. And then there are a bunch of other individuals who say, I experienced strength deficits before my menstrual cycle. You're like, cool. Now what? Now what do we do? So that variation between people is incredibly challenging to kind of balance. Um, And so in order to balance that, my suggestion for most people who are strength training is to use some form of auto-regulation, whether that be, I don't know if you have talked about auto-regulation. No, it's actually an ask if you could define auto-regulation. Okay. So auto-regulation is the idea that when you go into the gym, the weights are going to match you to where you are on a certain day. So a common way that I will describe this to people is if you have ever gone to go work out, whether it's yoga or running or with lifting weights, if you go and you work out and you're like, that is the hardest workout I have ever done. I can do literally no more. I am dead on the floor. I need a nap. That is your RPE 10. That's auto-regulation at its max, right? You maxed mm-hmm. out your auto-regulation for the day. Rating of perceived exertion. Rating RPE. of perceived exertion. Is RPE. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So RPE is a form of auto-regulation. And then, but if you have finished a workout and you're like, man, that was a good workout. I worked out hard, but I didn't max it out. Your RPE is a little bit lower. Your exertion was a little bit lower, but you were picking the weights and maybe those weights that you did on those two days or the length of your run or the intensity of your yoga practice was the same between those two 
but one felt a lot harder than the other. Auto-regulation is the idea that you would pick the workout that caps you at like where you want the hardness level that you want to be at. So Mm -hmm. in strength training, we work a lot at RPE eight on a Mm -hmm. one to 10 scale. So we want to leave a little left in the tank. And so in relation to the menstrual cycle, the idea is, is that you're working to this level of hardness. We want to get to hard enough, no matter what is happening in your life. So if you're sick, like, let's say you wake up one day and you're like, I have the flu, but I work out at home so I can still train. Yeah. You might have to train a little bit lighter than you normally would, but it's still going to feel just as hard because you're sick. All of these things impact auto-regulation. So auto-regulation is, takes in the inputs of stress, relationships, um, work, driving to wherever you're going. There was an accident on the highway. All of these things impact auto-regulation and auto-regulation is the process that we use to find that hard enough. I love that. You know, in the yoga world, I feel like we hear a lot of talk around listening to your body and like meeting your body where it's communicating to you that it wants to be met and your yoga poses are awesome. So similar, listening to your body, Mm auto-regulation, would you say those are similar concepts? Yeah. And I would, to take it a step further, if you think about auto-regulation from a yoga perspective, you could auto-regulate using time spent doing Mm -hmm. a yoga practice. You Mm -hmm. can also auto-regulate by making the poses harder. So if a pose is no longer Mm -hmm. challenging for you and you need to make it harder in order to continue to adapt to that practice, then I think about this in a very adaptive, like... I want to adapt to whatever I'm doing. So that might not be the goal of a yoga practice. Right, right. But if you have surpassed what you need in order to like get what you want out of your yoga practice, you're going to have to make it more challenging in Mm -hmm. some way. So same idea. I think that happens informally or people are doing that all the time. They're not Mm -hmm. necessarily thinking, oh, I'm auto-regulating. They're thinking, what's the... Most teacher offers many different variations. What's the most challenging variation for me that I can take today? Mm-hmm. Yes. And everybody knows that in their experience, some days that's different from other days. And exactly. whether it's because of all the factors that you mentioned, uh-huh. sleep, stress, nutrition, mm-hmm. life, or the menstrual cycle. Or menstrual cramps or, or discomfort or whatever. perception of what they've heard about what they should be experiencing during the menstrual mm-hmm. cycle. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, well, it, it sounds like if, if people use more of an auto-regulation framework, they would just naturally adapt their movement practice to just kind of meet them where they're at, regardless mm-hmm. of where, like on a calendar or in a schedule they are in their menstrual cycle, because as you suggested, everyone's different. Like there's a lot of variability. Yeah. Um, but like what I noticed when I was looking into this a little bit to see what recommendations there are out just like on Google for women and strength training and the menstrual cycle, actually, maybe you can, you can tell us like what's generally actually, yeah. Why don't you share with us? What are the general recommendations that we hear? Claire scrunches her face. I know. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so a common recommendation that Mm -hmm. I see is promoting this fragility narrative of that during a certain phase, you must be more careful with your body. So during two weeks, and I'm assuming that people have a two week cycle. Mm -hmm. So during that two week cycle, 
or sorry, 28 day cycle. So a two week half cycle, mm-hmm. you must be very careful with your body. And therefore you can only do yoga and you cannot strength train. And during the yes. other two phases of your mens or other two weeks of your menstrual cycle, you can strength train. And I'm like, that <laughs> is a practice that for women who are already underloaded, women as a gender mm. class are underloaded yes. in our society. We are not encouraged to strength train. We are not encouraged to be rough and be as active as our male counterparts to instruct women to reduce their physical activity is not only irresponsible, but uh, actually harmful to women who are trying to maintain high levels of independence because physical activity leads to independence. It has a ton of health benefits for health markers and can improve general quality of life overall. And if women are trying to achieve this and we tell them, oh, every two weeks, actually, you are too fragile to be able to do this is is just wrong. And I don't have another way to put that (laughs) because there's there's no evidence behind this idea that women are weaker. Yeah. Um during those two phases, lots of people will, will point to ACL research and be like, oh, but women are more likely to tear their ACLs during this phase. Yes. But as we talked about um, before we started the podcast, women are not encouraged to strength train. And so we don't have the uh, musculature to support our legs in the same way as, than, as, as our male counterparts. And also those ACL tears are not happening during, during lifting weights. They're, those That's are high really velocity impacts that are happening. Strength training in and of itself is an incredibly safe sport. It has one of right. the lowest injury rates of all sports. Um, it's like lower than soccer and gymnastics and football. All of these field sports are much more dangerous than dangerous insofar as like the injury rate is higher mm-hmm. than lifting weights. Like lifting weights has something like two to three injuries per every 1000 participation hours where soccer I think is close to six and Mm -hmm. gymnastics is close to 12. Mm -hmm. So those numbers are way different. So strength training, that's actually very safe and the return on investment is high. So, and they never tell people, well, don't play soccer during those two weeks. Exactly. Well, now they are starting to do that and it is a problem that that, those menstrual cycle narratives are starting to leak down from um higher level sports into into like youth sports and it's a problem our goal is to create individuals who are resilient during all times not just half their life so just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the yoga meets movement science podcast We hope you're enjoying learning from the super knowledgeable and inspiring Claire Zai. We feel so lucky to be able to feature her science-informed perspective on women and strength training. If this conversation inspires you to start a strength training program yourself or to bring in something new to the strength practice you're already doing, consider Travis's and my Strength for Yoga remote group training offering which is a monthly strength program we created to make strength training accessible and relevant for yogis. 
Our Strength for Yoga program also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program or your first month in any of the other memberships on my website. You can learn more and sign up at JennyRawlings.com and the link is in the show notes. Also remember that other ways you can support us are by signing up for my email newsletter at JennyRawlings.com newsletter and the link is in the show notes and by subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a rating or a review. And now back to our episode. Our goal is to create individuals who are resilient during all times, not yes. just half their life. So <laughs> that's the sorry, crazy thing to me. Like socioculturally, there are already so many barriers, right? Or mm-hmm. so many, so many signs, people telling women not to strength train, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're saying, well, now you can only do it half the time too. So mm-hmm. you're good for, for two weeks, but the other two weeks you can't. And it's like, well, how much? Sh- sure. I guess you, two weeks is better than nothing, but two weeks and then not doing it for two weeks, it's going to be harder to make progress. Mm-hmm. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you definitely hamstring yourself if you do two weeks on two weeks off, it's a little bit harder to make progress. So, and that progress does relate to health for things like blood pressure <sighs> and muscle size, which are indi- are predictors of long-term health. So you're so right, Claire. Um, when I was looking into this a little bit to see like what recommendations are out there for women in the menstrual cycle and training, mm-hmm. um, I definitely saw the cautions around when you're in the luteal phase, that's the phase where you're supposed to be weaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw, I saw like, this was like a website for personal trainers who had clients and it was recommending yeah. like when your female client is in the luteal phase, you need to decrease the load of her weights. Mm. And maybe emphasize more cardio and other other types of conditioning. Mm-hmm. And only in the other phase, the follicular phase, that's where you actually load them up and work toward PRs and things mm-hmm. like like that was like the instructions for personal trainers. But I yeah. also did a little like Google Scholar searching just to look at what some scientific research actually has shown about the difference. And what I seem to come up with was, and we could throw them in the show notes, and you probably have tons of study references for this, but. I yeah. saw a couple of recent um, studies that come that took women women and um, through the menstrual cycle was comparing their strength and their power, yeah. and yeah. it wasn't different between the two. Like it's mm-hmm. like we have this idea that it will be different, but in reality, as it plays out, it's not systematically yeah. different. Yeah. yeah, and that's so where why are we saying that? Well, this comes from a couple. My hypothesis is it comes from a couple of places. One, we. As scientists, we are not perfect and we do not come into scientific research without biases. And as hard as we try mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. Un- unpack those mm-hmm. before we get there, there's a lot of research out there that is trying to prove one, that women are weaker than men or why women are weaker than men. So why are we coming into this idea that there is a difference? What if we came into it with the idea, these two are the same, how can we prove that they are the same? If that was um, so there are two different biases that you're fighting there right and then at the same time there is a i want science to be open to as many people as possible but the problem is is that there are individuals who do not understand the scientific process and do not understand that rat studies and single muscle studies do not equate to what happens in real life and how we apply yeah. that science to people who disseminate this information and blow these results out of proportion. 
and then it gets circulated and it's clickbaity and yes women want to feel special everyone wants to feel special and so when someone tells you i know why you're not getting stronger it's not that you have a poorly designed program it's it's your (laughs) menstrual cycle it's this thing that you don't have control over that i can weaponize against you to say oh it's your menstrual cycle so let me sell you a program that will account for this instead of being like hmm both these programs suck let's (laughs) let's change that so but we just want to point to the menstrual cycle, I think, part, partly or, or completely because of gender ideas, as we talked about mm-hmm. that difference between gender and sex. And we have these predispositions to just believe that women are, I mean, there's that phrase, the weaker sex, that women are fragile yeah. and delicate. And we treat strength training as like this male domain that mm-hmm. women can like step into, but we have to like adapt our strength training practice because it wasn't, you know, it's not meant for us or it's like their space or I don't yeah, know, yeah, yeah. something like oh, that. I, I see that all the time. Um, And the way that men interact with women in gyms absolutely assumes that this is the man space and they are granting us access to it and breaking down that behavior can be really challenging. And it takes a very special group of people to be able to do it. And I have seen gyms that have done it and it's still not perfect. So it takes time. It's a society wide problem. It's not just a gym. It's not you like, the listener, mm-hmm. um, right. you're fighting a lot of, of biases and that's okay for it to sometimes be hard too, to know what is correct. So. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. It's very natural and understandable, especially in our society and with our biases, why women might feel intimidated or insecure in a, in a space like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah. People Maybe ask we're... me all the time if I think women only gyms are a good thing. And I'm like, absolutely. Oh, yeah create that safe space for for women to feel like they can go and train without um without either feeling like they're being stared at or feeling like they're being judged they just go and they do their thing and they're around other people who maybe have had more similar experiences to them in gyms so right it could be really helpful um so I, I actually feel like we could talk about the menstrual cycle for a lot longer, but I wonder if, um, we did have a few other questions we wanted to ask you about other, other, um, women issues. And so I'm sure some of the themes we've already discussed will kind of make their way through, but, um, Mm -hmm. and I know you've researched the menstrual cycle more in depth, uh, than menopause, but Mm -hmm. we did, uh, we, we do know you have some experience, uh, maybe working with people or seen some research Mm -hmm. on menopause. Um, have you seen societal ideas about women strength training, um, perimenopause during menopause, post -post postmenopausal? Like, what do you, what's up with that? The biggest thing that I see with menopause is actually a reduction in metabolic rate that is occurring during menopause or that people think is occurring. And in, in reality, our metabolism stays pretty constant through, through menopause and what is actually happening and where people see like changes in body composition or um, their ability to train is actually due to a reduction in physical activity that happens around the time menopause is happening. <sighs> so uh, makes sense. menopause is actually one of the best times that we can counsel women to say like, Hey, um, oftentimes this is occurring during a change of life of some kind. And this Mm -hmm. is a point in time where we can say like, Hey, you're going through menopause. This is the time where we should probably implement a strength training workout or a Mm -hmm. more intense 
physical activity regimen. And you need to be more intentional about staying active because typically we see that women tend to drop off mm -hmm. from this point. There's two points in life when women start to drop out of physical activity and sports. It, one is puberty and the other is menopause. So right around that time, uh, women stop yeah. being as active. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense because uh, I think also pretty recently um, there was some research that came out about um, metabolism and metabolic rate. I think I'm stating this correctly that we I know you're talking about. Yeah. Ponser. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Just that, that as we get older, I think it's like by the time we have this societal idea that once you hit middle age, your metabolism will decrease. And that's why we mm -hmm. tend to gain weight more easily as we get older, it just gets chalked up to that. But what did, um, what did the study, the recent study reveal? Yeah. That, that's, that's not how it works that our, our metabolic rate is pretty constant through, right. through life. So through uh, life. Yeah. Like through menopause, past menopause, past menopause. isn't it like in yes. the sick, in our sixties is when it does maybe mm -hmm. start to it decrease starts to drop a little bit. Yeah. But it's not this like crash that happens. It's like a slow decline that starts to happen, um, around mm. that time. Mm -hmm. So Ponzer actually has a really good bur book called burn burn. Yeah. Yes. That's a burn. really good on book. That bookshelf. Yeah. Yes. I have it on my bookshelf too. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. But um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. No, it's just this idea that after menopause, also women are considered fragile again, again and are not yes. because our estrogen has decreased. And once the estrogen is gone, then we are more, or we are less in this anabolic state where we can build muscle. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. You can build muscle after, after menopause. And that's the other thing that I that I see. I'm sorry. I totally interrupted you though. You had another. What? Point. No, you didn't. Oh, um, I feel like I was starting to interrupt you. Uh, oh, no, you're good. But thank you for saying that. I think what I was, uh, what I was going to say was, it just was something that you reminded me of, with, um, which mm -hmm. was just that, which is just that I think when, when people maybe hear this updated news about your metabolism doesn't decrease in, by the time you get to middle age, they're mm -hmm. like, well, then why did I gain weight? Why does everybody gain? Like, that's the next yeah. question. Like if your metabolism didn't decrease, why? And yeah. I think it ties into what you already said, which is maybe it's more societal or cultural mm -hmm. that just around these certain ages, we, be, we tend to become less physically active. Yeah. Well, there's a, for a lot of individuals, there's something that changes right around menopause. Um, a lot of kids start to leave the house. Yeah. And so if, if those coincide, um, you're going to see a comparison between the two of you are decreasing your physical activity because you're probably out less doing things if that is if that has been your pattern mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. it changes then yeah That's those really can be correlated point. so yes so maybe it's more like lifestyle factors affecting something like that like what you see mm -hmm. in your body as far as changes versus actual um physiology and metabolism although mm -hmm. that's like yeah. what we believed until then yeah. And I think also there's just this idea that after 50 or after yeah. menopause, you don't like you're, there is a narrative that like after menopause, you're just like, that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. And I don't have a no. good way to combat it or like right. a like positive way to spin it, but it's just not true. Not true. Um, and so maybe you have a better way of of saying that. 
but that's the narrative I hear a lot. Oh, I hit right. menopause. That's so it. I, just I can't better... gain strength anymore. Uh, yeah, oh. and, I, and I think it gets tied in also to other stereotypes we have around, like, um, just as people get older, you know, we talk about women or females being seen as, quote, the weaker sex, which is not true. Mm -hmm. But also as people get older, there's this idea that we get fragile and delicate and, like, older people uh, and, you know, like, menopause but beyond like old like senior mm -hmm. citizen like that they sh they're yeah. just delicate and they shouldn't load up their bodies they shouldn't like lift barbells yeah. like they need to protect themselves but again yeah. isn't that just a societal stereotype as well and that like older mm -hmm. people are perfectly capable of adapting to load and um that physical activity yeah. and strength are good for them right yes and i think that's a really good transition into this other thing we want to talk about yeah which let's is do thank you Claire. yes which is osteoporosis yes osteoporosis is by definition the loss of bone tissue that ends up resulting in actually fragile bones bones that will break under impact that are mm -hmm. probably less than what uh most people can endure so those would be like breaks after falling from a standing position mm -hmm. and non-traumatic injuries like that but why strength training is so important for osteoporosis and osteopenia, which mm -hmm. osteopenia is the reduction in muscle tissue that occurs um, over time. And do you mean sarcopenia? Thank you. What did I osteopenia? Yeah, that, yes. which is I like meant... the precursor to yes. osteoporosis. osteoporosis. Thank you. Um, yep. Talking too fast again. Yeah. Uh, I sometimes get them confused too. So it's like, I might be no, saying the wrong helped. thing yeah. right here. I'm you're sure great. people do not know what sarcopenia is either. Many people don't. So yes. I'm glad you're defining it. So sarcopenia, not osteopenia. Sarcopenia <laughs> is the reduction in muscle tissue that yes. occurs. And so strength training can fight against both of those two things. Right. So the loading of bones, bones get stronger when we put compression forces on them. And so mm -hmm. they get stronger when we lift weights. And that's why lifting weights is so important. So for nice. individuals who swim, my mom swims a lot. I use her as an example all the time. Um, my mom swims a lot. And I'm like, mom, you need to be doing weight training because there is no bone loading happening, like vertical bone loading happening when you're swimming. Thank you for Even saying though swimming that. is super good for you cardiovascularly. We need you to also be building your bone strength over time. And so yes. women are often told that they are at a higher risk for osteoporosis, which is true. But if we load women appropriately throughout their lifetimes, would that yeah. go away? We don't have that data, but right. I'm curious if that would happen. Um, and wow. sarcopenia, the building of muscle tissue from resistance training can impact the amount of muscle tissue we have and muscle tissue is directly related to quality of life where quality right. of life is can you do your activities of daily living are you independent and so those two things are incredibly important for individuals all individuals to be right, right. not just women right not just women these are, these are like truly population-wide concerns so. and even osteoporosis which we tend to uh, societally associate with women men can also have osteoporosis right like i think they're it's the minority but it can it also can affect yeah like all mm -hmm. all bodies totally. 
It's really interesting. I just, I, I, the way you're describing that um, we don't have the research to show, but just it would be interesting if on a more wide societal level, women mm -hmm. were encouraged to strengthen throughout the life course. I wonder if, just like you said, if later in life, we wouldn't have osteoporosis as just this solely, not solely, but mostly female condition that we tend to associate, yeah. like maybe it would be, would be more um, equal because men, I think men are more encouraged to strengthen. Maybe they tend mm -hmm. to load their bodies more throughout their lives. Maybe that's yeah. partly why it's a uh, men are the minority when it comes to osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And I would, it's, there's also some interplay with kind of what jobs are men involved yeah. in. Yes. Men are probably more yes. active in their, in their jobs as well. Uh, which can kind of hide some of these strength training impacts as well. Yeah, that's a good point. That, that women might not be as active in their jobs. And so that building of muscle and bone tissue just doesn't happen for them the same way it does for men on like a population-wide scale. So again, I don't have data for this. Yeah. But these are my it's hypotheses <laughs> around like if we changed our society a little bit, yeah. how would this affect health outcomes in the future? Right. Um, this has made me think, speaking of osteoporosis, uh, and you've, you've clearly stated that strength training, resistance training can be really helpful for increasing bone strength and helping to prevent or um, improve osteoporosis conditions. My question then, so this is, you know, we're a yoga podcast, we're kind of in the, we are in the yoga world. I'm mm -hmm. not sure if you're familiar with this, Claire, I'm thinking you're probably not, but in okay. the yoga world, there is a widespread belief that a yoga practice is a good um, practice for um, treating osteoporosis and preventing osteoporosis. And there's, there's like a book that I think is called Yoga for Osteoporosis. And um, there's like a program, Yoga for Osteoporosis, and it's like 12 yoga poses. One of them is um, like lying on your back with a, it's like a supine straight leg, one leg up stretch kind of thing. <laughs> so I'm wondering what you think. I know I haven't given you like the total details, but what do you, what do you think about like just what you know of yoga as a body weight mat-based practice? Do you think a typical yoga practice as we see it practiced in the West is a good practice for specifically targeting bone strength? Um, what do you think? Knowing, knowing what you know about biomechanics and loading the body and yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a good question. I think that the, uh, loading rate or the, the peak ground reaction force that is happening during yoga is not high enough mm -hmm. to initiate a lot of adaptation within the bone. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in order to get that, that's why running increases bone density is because the ground reaction forces are two times higher than um body weight mm -hmm. and or body mass and then same with weightlifting the the reaction mm -hmm. forces or the force being applied to the ground which is a ground reaction force um the force being applied to the ground by the body and the amount of force that the body has to dissipate is going to be higher than um mm -hmm. what is applied just by the body and so if you think about strength training as well as bones don't just support us they also are the structure for which our muscles pull on uh right. when we start to strength train and we have our muscles pulling on our bones in other directions there is also 
stress that is creating strength in the bones as they're being pulled on as well. Right. So uh, lots of different things that are happening within strength training that I don't think yoga hits at a high enough level. Mm-hmm. Um, where I do think yoga is really important is it is a great increase or it's a great way to get more physical activity if mm-hmm. that is something that you enjoy. And one of the things I think that is best about yoga is it does have significant mental health benefits Mm -hmm. and being able to focus on just what your body is doing does have mental Mm -hmm. health benefits and can be part of, I'm big on meditation and I think it's part of Mm -hmm. a big meditation practice. Mm -hmm. So do you think that, go ahead. Nope. Go ahead. Do you think that if a person is sedentary and has been for quite some time, is it better than nothing? Yes. You know, if they're not better. going to do yeah. strength training, running, yeah. some of these other higher impact things, can you build some bone density? Yeah. Especially, especially depending on how you do it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're progressing to a pretty challenging practice, yeah. arm balances, handstands, uh, those sorts of things. Yes, I do. I do think that's a great place to go. If, if that is what, honestly, honestly, if, if strength training and running and any other form of exercise is uninteresting to you mm-hmm. and all you're willing mm-hmm. to do is yoga, fine. Mm-hmm. I'm there more than happy. There are a lot of people like that. Yeah. And the only thing I'd supplement that with is actually walking to get some of the cardiovascular benefits from nice. walking, which if, if that's what you want, uh, that's totally fine. Um, but recognizing that there are unique benefits to strength training, I think is important, but also knowing that if you're not going to the, if you're not going to do it Mm -hmm. consistently, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make it not useful. But I think the thing that you're going to do the most consistently and the thing that will actually bring you joy is the thing you should be doing. The best exercise that. is the one you'll actually do. Exactly. But like you said, yeah. recognizing that the the ceiling is lower. Totally. Yeah. For a body weight movement mm-hmm. practice versus adding some weights. Yeah. And at that point, I would even encourage individuals to try and find something else about strength training or some kind of strength training that they do find fun. Even if you do it mm-hmm. once a week for 20 minutes, Yeah, that's better than not doing it at all. And so wherever you can, literally wherever you can fit it in, like however you can make it a little bit part of your life, that's better than nothing. So shout out to our 20 minute (laughs) workouts. We, we released a product uh, a couple months ago that are kind of in that vein. Yeah. It's like 20 minute. Yeah. Strength workouts. Yeah. Which like if compare, I mean, they're excellent in and of themselves, but yeah, it's like compared to um, you know, not strength training at all, doing 20 mm-hmm. minutes, even if it's once a week should be beneficial, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout so the world health offer. organization suggests mm-hmm. two times of strength training per week. They do not mm-hmm. give a time limit on that or an intensity mm-hmm. limit or anything else other than you should do it twice a week. Major muscle groups is what yeah, they major muscle yeah, say, right? of all major. Right. Right. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> That seems kind of like an inadequate suggestion, but cool. We'll run with it. <laughs> and mean, <laughs> uh, you're in the gym six week, days a week. You know. Yeah. I mean, right. compared to, there is a big difference in outcome 
that I am looking for versus what a yogi is looking for, right? That's right, a great like, but, point. Yes. yes. I'm in the gym three hours a day, four days a week, and then an hour a day, two other days a week. So I'm in the gym a lot. As so. a nationally competitive power lifter, right? Like that, like your goals and your context, it's totally supported. Um, yes. To do that. I'm trying to and win it, worlds. Like, there's, yeah. it's like right. we're talking about two different groups of people who are training for very different reasons, right? And training 100%. for health doesn't have to look like what I do. So, and it actually might not be quite the same, right? Like, mm. may, and maybe not, maybe powerlifting is not a great example because, yeah, depending how you go about it, bodybuilding might be the better example. Bodybuilding is a competitive sport. I mean, it can be done recreationally, but when you do mm -hmm. it for competitive sport, there's an extreme component of it that mm -hmm. if you're going to, if you're going to get on stage, that's actually going beyond where it's healthy for you. Yes. Right. Uh, I, I would argue that most competitive sports are not healthy. Actually. Yeah. Yes. Yes. At the because extreme level. At the, ex at the elite level, most sports sacrifice some level of health in some way that um, you are saying I am giving up some level of my own health in order to, whether that's mental or physical in order right. to pursue this dream. So uh, yes, I would argue that what I do is not healthy for long-term mm. in terms of long-term health. So this is not mm -hmm. sustainable the way that I live my life. So, but I have a dream. I'm going to try and achieve it. And then mm -hmm. I will go back to something maybe a little more reasonable. Right. So, right. Yeah. You're doing this like, um, temporarily, I guess, with this yeah. goal in mind and, um, yeah. you're aware of like the bigger picture of yeah, like, what mm -hmm. that means. And Yes. Thank you for outlining that. And it's so true. There really is a difference between um, strength training or physical activity for something like an elite goal you're pursuing versus mm -hmm. um, physical activity for health. Those are really yes. distinct categories. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and yeah. we said like the World Health Organization has mm -hmm. a very low bar and then there are people who are doing much, much, yeah. much, much more. And then maybe the rest of us would be well-suited for somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I would argue, so the, the data that the World Health Organization cites is that those two times a week of all major muscle groups does reduce morbidity and mortality for mm -hmm. individuals and improves quality of life. But again, without kind of like more detail, it's hard to tell you exactly how much you need to be doing in order to hit that, but probably a little more than more than you are doing is better. Like more movement is going to be better than less. So, right. Which I think is a great way that yoga can come in too. It's like you said, it's a great totally. form of physical activity to like add up those physical activity uh, minutes and hours. I also think it's important to point out, I think sometimes when people just generally a person thinks about quote exercise or physical activity, they often default to thinking cardio like if mm -hmm. I run and that's all I do, that's all I need. Um, but it sounds like, like you said, the World Health Organization, they they have a recommend, like cardio is part of it for sure. Cardiovascular health mm -hmm. is important for our health, but there's this other component of the actual resistance training or strength training that's also recommended also yeah. for health, like both, right? Ideally. Mm -hmm. Cardio is most of that recommendation for, mm -hmm. for better or worse. <laughs> right. Um, but... For my worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. 
uh, one question that I, or one topic we did want to address in our conversation today uh, with this kind of <laughs> women focused look at strength training is the topic that we haven't gotten to yet, which is pregnancy. Yeah. And we're wondering if we could ask you a bit about that and Absolutely. just, yes, things women should think about, maybe common cautions that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What do women who become pregnant or maybe even planning on it, like what should they think about and what, what myths are out there that they might not yeah. need to think about? Great questions. Um, so I'm going to start with, there is a document from the Canadian, it's the Canadian guidelines for physical activity and pregnancy. It's from the Canadian OBGYN association and that is not their name. I don't remember their name, but what they suggest is that most women who are in, who are planning to get pregnant, who are pregnant or who have been pregnant should be meeting the physical activity guidelines for cardiovascular work. Um, they suggest doing the three, 300 minutes, 150 to 300 minutes of moderate physical intensity activity. And those women should be strength training twice a week. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have any evidence that strength training is harmful to either the individual carrying the baby or the baby itself. And actually individuals who are physically active have better outcomes for both the individual carrying the baby and the baby itself. So uh, being pregnant is, is in and of itself, not a risk factor. There are risk factors within pregnancy that your OBGYN can identify and say, it is actually not safe for you to do this kind mm -hmm. of activity. But mm -hmm. we have we have examples of individuals who are very high level athletes who have been pregnant and have maintained their physical activity through pregnancy to all the way up to to full term and mm -hmm. have been fine with both baby and the individual carrying the, the baby. And so what is so important is that the outcomes that are coming around birth for both the individual carrying the child and the child itself being those health benefits and outcomes are so big that we think that strength training or regular mm -hmm. exercise during pregnancy is totally fine. And the recommendation is that you start where you are comfortable. If you start when you find out that you get pregnant, <laughs> when you find out that you are pregnant, then it is totally fine to start a resistance training and exercise program, then just wow. uh, meet yourself where you are currently. So can yeah. I ask with that? I, uh, I, my understanding of it was like, okay, maybe during pregnancy, the goal should be more to maintain than to progress, mm -hmm. make significant gains in muscle or strength. Yeah. But then like you're talking about somebody maybe who's brand new realizing the importance of this when they get yeah. pregnant is, is, am I selling it short by saying, Oh, you should just try to maintain. Obviously it's individual dependent. Yeah. Um, depends what their, whatever, what their baseline level of function is, but where, how do you kind of talk about that? Think about that. Totally. I agree that, for most individuals, the focus will shift from, I'm trying for the individuals I work with, the focus shifts from, I'm trying to get as strong as possible to, I want to maintain a healthy lifestyle throughout these 10 months of pregnancy 
for most individuals who would be who would find out that they are pregnant and then they're like all right time to start an exercise program you might still have some increases in strength mm -hmm. and cardiovascular fitness that occur because the novelty because mm -hmm. the novelty encourages high levels of adaptation and so i would say maintaining or shifting towards a health perspective is fine if there are gains that happen along the way there's no reason we should kind of outlaw those or like throw those don't to the wind slow and like, them down yeah as long as you're tolerating the exercise program i don't think there's anything wrong with it and maybe as you get into the third trimester like that's where that becomes more of a factor would you say uh, like it's even it's to an even greater extent it's probably going to look more like maintenance than progress or probably. is that not yeah yeah the individuals i've worked with who have been pregnant were not making huge gains mm. in training at that time partially just because they were uncomfortable right like... and that maybe that's the most important thing right yeah it's like yeah. there's no hard and fast it's just like what feels good to you and only exactly. you know that exactly and this is where we come back to auto regulation and progressively yeah. loaded programming of we want to get to hard enough but through pregnancy hard enough might change depending on how you're feeling so how i always go about it when i'm working with clients who are pregnant i say all right have you been cleared by your doctor to mm -hmm, exercise during mm -hmm. pregnancy and have they discussed with you that being active is a very important part of being pregnant and if yes then we can continue and we'll do your program as as we have been doing it for individuals who say no i'm like all right why don't you talk to your doctor one mm -hmm. make sure you're cleared make sure that none of these contraindications that we have listed are present and mm -hmm. if you're cleared for exercise we'll continue and that's just partially to absolve me of any responsibility <laughs> yeah. yeah um which i think is important but also we want individuals asking about this because it is important for them to know kind of like what is happening mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. their bodies and the contraindications that we have we actually don't have evidence that being physically active with those contraindications is a bad thing we just don't know and so we're like well those are pretty big contraindications so maybe we'll play it safe that's but the those tricky are, part yeah can't do a study where you put people nope. in a potentially no. risky position yeah, yeah. like that yeah so we don't have evidence on that but our like best suggestion based on like theory and kind of how important this time period is for certain individuals is that we're gonna slow our roll maybe a little bit so mm -hmm. that makes sense i mean i feel like we've talked a bit in this conversation about um societal stereotypes around gender and women in general being seen as more fragile and delicate uh, we talk about older people being seen as more fragile and delicate and, and all these things are just mm -hmm. ideas that aren't necessarily science supported. I also think that um, with pregnancy, we do have some ideas that women just inherently become delicate and fragile and need to be extra careful during mm -hmm. pregnancy. It, it sounds yeah. like what you're suggesting is it's a little more gray area than that. Um, and maybe when, I mean, to be pregnant, yeah. you have to be very strong. Like that's a lot that your yes. body goes. We tend to look at it and think like, oh, that's so delicate, but it's actually this huge feat 
of strength and endurance to go through pregnancy. Yes. And Carrying labor something that large for nine months without breaks. Sounds like yeah. a terrible time. <laughs> right. And why don't we look at it that way? Instead, we just look yeah. at it because it's the females. We're like, oh, she must, she needs to be really careful. And, you know, yeah. but in, we could look at it the, on the flip side and be like, look how freaking strong she is. That's like yeah. amazing. I think the babies are fragile. <laughs> that's fragile and there mm-hmm. are like strong recommendations that you should not be doing high impact high like high risk of high traumatic injury so like skiing uh i think right. uh like high like motor water sports or like <laughs> things right. like that um for the those baby, are it sounds at, like yeah because there's risk of literal yes. trauma like physical trauma to the to the baby um but otherwise i was reading something like it's not the it's not the deadlift let's say it's like the what if you pass out when you deadlift and then fall mm-hmm. over yeah like that's more so yeah. a blood pressure thing mm-hmm. but it's like check with your doctor yeah see how you feel yeah and if you're it's okay like that's why we shift to a i want to feel healthy perspective during pregnancy of like i still want you working out but I don't need you to pull an RPE 10 hardest (laughs) deadlift you've ever pulled in your life and possibly pass out. Like that's probably not Mm -hmm. our best plan. Yeah. Especially too, like as you gain more weight in front of your body, like your whole balance Mm -hmm. changes. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is that something that when you're working with people, especially with a barbell, like it's a conversation or something that you have to be thinking about? Not particularly. They kind of self-adjust. Like women, I guess it happens over time. Yeah, they're just—it's like a slow, slow thing, and they're just like they slowly change their form, and it's fine. Um, And also, at that point in time, form is not my biggest concern because efficiency Mm. is not my biggest concern. I just want you lifting weights. So, talking about pregnancy and increasing the size of the belly is just making me think about increasing size in general and um, something that we had wanted to ask you about today, Claire, which was, and I think this is particularly relevant for women, but there is um, their ideas about the connection between strength training and like building bigger muscles and not changing Mm -hmm. like the way Mm -hmm. the body looks. And I know there's a bunch layered on top of that, like Yep. Again, gender stereotypes that um, being small for women, because like, we need to be delicate and like weak and small, like that that's this ideal and that mm-hmm. we don't want to get big or whatever. But yeah. um, kind of, I don't know, just knowing that that's out there, I'm mm-hmm. wondering like what sometimes women are, are held back from the idea of strength training because mm-hmm. they're afraid to, and I don't, I don't like yeah. this term, but I'm sure we're all familiar with it, the quote, get bulky or whatever. Yeah. They don't yeah. want to change from their societal standards. Um, what do you think about such claims, such fears? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll just ask that. I think that fear is totally founded or like is a well-founded fear and is totally reasonable actually. So Mm -hmm. the idea that you don't want to get bulky or you don't want to not fulfill your societal standard of being smaller, Mm -hmm. um, being smaller is heavily rewarded in our society and fitting into your stereotype is rewarded. And so Mm -hmm. not wanting to break out of that because there are social and emotional costs that come with that as someone who breaks that stereotype. um, I recognize that it is a choice that, that women make in order to break that stereotype. And while I understand that fear, I want to dispel the idea that just strength training 
will create a bodybuilder style body. Like when we think right. about bulky, we think um, women who are on, well, people think about women who are my size. I have very visible muscle definition, mm -hmm. um, but it's taken me a very long time to build that. And I want women to feel comfortable in their bodies. So not only do I understand where you're coming from, I get that that desire, like I get that desire. I want to feel comfortable in my body too. Mm -hmm. And so I always will counsel women. I'm like, let's talk about how much time and energy it would take in order to get to that point. It would take mm -hmm. a lot of time and energy. And if you want to get there, we can. But if we are trying to focus on health, doing this twice a week is probably not going to be enough stimulus to get you there. If at any point you start to feel uncomfortable, we'll change your program right. in order right. to get you back to where you want to be. Um, so a lot of women want that, that toned look. That's what right. I hear a lot. They yeah. want to be toned and toned long is and lean. long and lean. <laughs> so toned is having muscle definition without having um, a ton of muscle, right? And so in order to get oh. that definition, you have to actually build some muscle so that it shows through your skin. Um, yeah. And in order to get bulky, I will often try and ask individuals, all right, at what point, like, do you have a point where you're like, I'm too bulky? Mm -hmm. Do you, do you know what that would look like for you? And also, and, and if so, let's not go there. Right. Also, there are ways to strength train that are more for health instead of hypertrophy that yes. we can focus on you just enjoying strength training and getting the health benefits out of it. And we don't have to do this more hypertrophy focused muscle, like width or muscle growth as much. There are different ways to do this. Um, but I want women to understand that I, I get where you're coming from. It's not a bad mm -hmm. thing to say, I don't want to be bulky because there are costs for breaking that mm. stereotype. So, mm -hmm. um, and so I see it a lot online where powerlifters are like, it's not a bad thing to be bulky. And I'm like, well, actually let's reevaluate right. that. Right. <laughs> um, we have to suffer in this. Yeah. 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 There's a little more nuance to like how, yeah. how we interact with society. And it's a privilege to be able to go out into the world and not have to worry about breaking your stereotype. Um, but like you mentioned, you don't just pick up a weight and suddenly yes. look like the Hulk. No, no. <laughs> but if you do, right. if that happens to you, like you said, there might be some ways where you could tweak. Yeah. And if that happens and... to you, maybe we should get you into powerlifting because you might be a really good competitor. <laughs> maybe could... we're talking about like world's level competitor. So could, could you share some of the strategies that you use if someone is wanting not to gain significant muscle mass, what yeah. sorts of things would you tweak? Yeah. So I would stay like further away from failure. Um, so we're talking about RPE again. So I would stay further away from like RPE nines. Um, and in reality, I would, if someone is training four days a week and they're like, this is too much, I'm getting too, too big. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, all right, let's take it down to three days. Like mm -hmm. there's no reason like, we think volume is a, a great predictor of strength and hypertrophy. So we'll, we'll take it down a little bit and that's okay. Um, right. Yeah. Would you so, lower rep ranges to also reduce volume? Yeah. Like work, focus sure. more on strength. 
mm-hmm. which is necessarily have to rest longer. You're going to do f- yeah. lower volume, fewer reps. Yes. I do think that at a, at a certain point, even lower reps, if they are higher RPE are going right. to still contribute yeah. to that hypertrophy. And it is very rare that I have a woman come to me and be like, this is too much. Uh, yeah. Most of them are like, oh, this is right. amazing. I want to get stronger. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, and all of a sudden, uh, aesthetics matter less. And that's the other thing. Like mm-hmm. once women start to get into this, individuals start to get into this, they're like, oh, wait, being strong is so much cooler than being <laughs> anything else. And I just want to be strong. So I love that. Like they maybe have a transformation as they take on the practice and change um, their ideas about. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, because it goes from, all right, I'm lifting in the gym. And then you tell them how much is on the bar. And they're like, what? I can lift that? <laughs> and then right. they start doing equations to figure out, all right, what in my life weighs that much? And they're like, I can lift yes. three of my kids. And I'm like, great. Yes. And they're like, I can lift my husband. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> like, keep going. Or like bags so- of dog food or like the, Absolutely. the functionality that comes out of being strong and that quality of life and independence that comes from being strong oh. is so great that women are like, oh, yeah, I don't care if I have muscle definition. Actually, I want it because then other people know that I also can lift bags of dog food. <laughs> right. And they're not going to mess with you or something like that. Yeah, there is actually uh, research showing that they did like a research study on prisoners and the prisoners were the subjects and they were asking them like how they pick individuals that they would either abduct or um it's kind of a sad study but they were like individuals who didn't look strong or individuals who i thought would put up a fight they're like i'm not gonna pick those people so the ones who seem um, weaker or vulnerable or something mm -hmm. yeah uh also you should always carry an umbrella with you apparently (laughs) so according to this study Mm mm-hmm Yep. Yeah. Having a. Oh, uh, because if they stick. see that you have an umbrella, they're, they might be less likely to uh-huh. attack yeah. you. Because it's because a weapon. Use that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you for just kind of explaining and laying out how there, there's more nuance for sure to the whole conversation and potential yeah. concern that people may have with that, that women may have with that connection between strength training and, and the, the look, the aesthetic look of their muscles changing. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's. It's not yeah. just simple black and white. Mm-mm. No, no. Unfortunately, it's kind of complicated. Totally. Like, there's a whole science behind, like, how to really optimally, really build muscle, right? Like, hypertrophy. Yeah. Like, and you also have to be eating yes. enough. Oh, there's and that. It has really? to be a lot of protein. And um, you have such a good point. Yeah. So. So just picking up some weights a couple times a week isn't necessarily going to, you know, make this drastic change if that's all you're doing. No, And I would argue that even if, even if you do start to see changes, you're going to think they're positive changes because you've worked hard for them. Um, You work hard in the gym and the changes that come from it, most people enjoy. So totally agree. That's been my experience. And I think, and if you don't, that's okay too. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed to have that opinion. So absolutely. I just want everyone to feel comfortable in their body. (laughs) So that's such an important message. And I think, um, I feel like in the yoga world and through a yoga practice, we also really try to embody and share Mm -hmm. that message. Like it's so empowering to feel comfortable in one's body. 
totally. And through a movement practice, a yoga practice, a strength practice, all of it, we can really help kind of enhance and support mm -hmm. that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Claire, I feel like you've done a really wonderful and thorough job of answering a lot of our questions and just educating on a lot of these topics, hopefully demystifying and bringing some clarity around questions people may have had about these, um, these topics. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Travis, were there any last, any other questions that you think we, we had, or do you think we kind of covered it? I, I had one more question mm -hmm. and that was if, if you are a competitive powerlifter, which you are, or you're training and you can choose when to test your one rep max, or you can choose when to compete. And this is, you're at the national or international level. Do you at all consider menstrual cycle or it's mm. not even something that factors mm -hmm. into uh, the decisions? Because I don't get to choose when I compete. I don't factor it in. Um, my mm -hmm. competitions are set for me. And so my goal is for myself and for individuals that I work with, I want you to be strong all the time. You're just strong mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, that's, that's the goal. The, the thing that, that often comes up that, that we talk about in strength training is that you're stronger during one phase or another. But again, there's so much that goes into performance for strength into that peaking phase, which is kind of the, the phase of training we do right up to a competition. There's so much that goes into that and so much that is kind of like affecting that, that the menstrual cycle is very small. And when you're working within, so like for myself, when I think about this, competing with the best of the best in the, in the world, like I am looking at trying to take down some of the like strongest women in the world this year. When I'm looking at that, it is the people who can handle variation and stress the best who yeah. are going to consistently do well on large platforms. Like, yep, sometimes someone might get lucky and mm -hmm. somebody else has a bad day, but the people who are good over time are the people who can manage and adapt to those challenges. Right, so control what you can control. Mm -hmm. And mo most of those things are playing a larger role mm -hmm. than menstrual cycle. Yeah, so totally. if you can optimize those things, like you said, with the peaking, then like, even if you are not hormonally at your best, you've created an environment where that doesn't matter because that's, yeah. Yeah. You know, you're strong anyways. Yeah. yeah. A couple pounds and you have a buffer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're just strong regardless. And there are going to be times where it comes down to a pound either way. And at that point, you don't know what is really the affecting factor. It. Yeah. Yeah. Stress, lack of sleep, like so many yep. things affect yeah. nutrition. Your ability to... yeah. yeah. And also in powerlifting, you can't control the other person. You have no impact on their ability during a meet because of the way it's not like contact sports where you're like playing defense. You don't play defense right. in powerlifting. Right. It's all offense. And for individuals who are doing that, it's like you have to go out there and put on your best show. And yeah. maybe that day the other person had a better show and that's just how it works. So yeah, for so many it's part reasons. Of it. Yeah. 
Thank you for speaking to that. That was a really good question, yeah. Travis. But, <laughs> I uh, yeah, and I, I was just wondering, because so, yeah. I've, you know, I've competed at a high level in swimming and mm -hmm. have peers who have too. And I always wondered, like, is that, how does, how does that factor in? I, we spent so much time talking about, like, this is something that the average person doesn't have to worry about, but mm -hmm. at the, you know, at the level where a couple percentage points do matter, is that a consideration? And so to hear that it's not is, I think, yeah. empowering. Yeah. Yeah. I just, if it is causing, so in training, if it's causing like a lot of adverse effects, then, then you might need to do That's something different. Right. But at the competition, like on competition day, you don't get to choose it. And yeah. the other mm -hmm. thing is that there is variability between cycles within one woman or within mm. one individual. So True. like, you're like, all right, I'm going to plan this competition six months away so that I am in the correct phase. Okay. And then you have a no. weird phase and now you're all thrown off. So just expect to be strong all the time. So love that. thank yeah. you. That's we, we need to quote you. That's a quotable quote. Claire's totally. eye. Expect to be strong at all times. That's what you said, right? I think that's what you said. Yeah. Just be strong. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for speaking to that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I guess just in kind of wrapping up this uh, excellent educational conversation that I both women and men, really anybody in a body could benefit from. This was all such important and helpful information for everybody, especially like breaking down some of these ideas that gender stereotypes get mapped onto how we see mm -hmm. women's and men's bodies. But anyway, with all of that said, Claire, uh, for our listeners who are super inspired and want to follow your work and connect with you, where can they find you? And we will put links to all this and maybe more yeah. um, in the show notes. But if you want to help people... Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, it's Claire underscore Barbell Medicine. And then if you have specific questions, you can always shoot me an email. It's Claire at BarbellMedicine.com. Perfect. So, That's yeah. nice and simple. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, I thank really love this me. conversation. Yeah. And, um, thank you I'm, so much, Claire. Yeah. Thank you, Claire. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a real blast. Um, and I hope your listeners absolutely love it. And that wraps up our look at myths about women and strength training. Remember that you can support our work with this podcast by subscribing to our podcast and leaving us a rating or a review. You can also stay in the loop with all of our offerings by signing up for my email newsletter at jennyrawlings.com newsletter, and the link is in the show notes. Lastly, remember to use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in Travis's and my Strength for Yoga remote group training program, or 30% off your first month in any of the other memberships on my website. You can learn more and sign up at JennyRawlings.com, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon. Mm -hmm.